0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny
1: Cannell back to throw versus
0: He's tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has
1: got 10 22 for Raja. It's Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me.
0: All right. What is going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell hanging out on a, what is it, Wednesday? Wednesday uh, morning. Hang with you. I am in Orlando for a golf tournament. Raja's holding it down back in Fort Lauderdale at our studio. Big show for you. A lot of transfer news, and there's one transfer to the University of Miami. I can't wait to get Raja's take on that yeah. because it wasn't that long ago I told you you have to watch this documentary because you got to see this kid's attitude, and right. I want to see if you're excited or not about that transfer. Um, ton of stuff to get to, but first, before we get there, when a couple weeks ago Brady Quinn was filling in for you. Yep. And I asked him a question. I'm gonna ask you the same question. Have you ever tried to cut your own hair?
1: I cut my own hair every day. Like every 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 time it gets cut, it's me cutting it. Yeah.
0: You just you just raise it I just back, buzz it. Right? it. I so just that's... buzz
1: it. Yeah. I take the clippers and I, you know, take it off.
0: So I usually don't, and I right. did this last time, and I think that's why I got like the side, like it's a little bit different on the side. There's like a little line, and <laughs> it. it's a little thinner than normal you because I went to Supercuts. Yeah, like, I went to the Supercuts and got like the seventeen dollar special, and it just yeah. it wasn't enough, so I added to do a little extra. And then I think there's still a line left over. But credit to Coca for noticing that I actually took the time to do my hair this morning. Like he was he was all over it. So thank you. Yeah, way you, more uh, perceptive Coca. than me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. So the wash, uh, the, the Warriors, Golden State Warriors were playing last night and they put on an absolute clinic. And I think this has got to be what is sometimes frustrating to Steve Kerr because throughout his tenure, even the last several years, you've seen him get very frustrated at his team. Say they sl- they're sleepwalking through the regular season. They don't care. Like they're just going out there, going through the motions. Well, last night you didn't see any of that. You saw a peak. Golden State Warriors they had 51 in the first quarter that's an NBA record everybody was on point including KD, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson they all had uh, monster nights and I think this is the version of them that is has why everybody this is the version of them that gets the, the regular season win record this is the version of them that says nobody can beat like when you see this type of performance Raja is this what makes them one of the best all-time teams of all time
1: yeah, I mean, when they're firing on all cylinders and they're at peak performance, they're, they are one of the best teams of all time. But, you know, the problem is it's harder and harder to, like, capture that over the course of, like, 100 games during a season. Once you're in, like, your fourth uh, championship run, like, there's there's an element of, like, just boredom that starts to creep in. I thought that they would channel it last night just because, you know, the talk of this season has been the Nuggets and whether or not... Like this is for real through a quarter of the season. Then you got a third through the season and you're like, okay, this, this could be sustainable. Is it, is it sustainable? And then, you know, you've got the Warriors that are finally playing some good basketball. I thought that they would want to come out and just put the league on notice, uh, to the fact that they are still who they are when they want to be that team, you know?
0: Totally. I mean, is that what it takes to motivate them to see, like, what would you do if you're Steve Kerr to try to get that performance? Or is it just unrealistic to expect that every single night?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty unrealistic at this point. And I think Steve Kerr just wants to know that it's there. You know, I, I think that he wants to know that that can be summoned when it needs to be summoned. They, they've played enough basketball. He knows those guys. They've achieved everything there is to achieve, right? Like They set the single season wins record. They, they, they've they won championships. Um. What do you want them to do? Like, you, there's only so much fabrication of like, you know, motivating storylines or, or little personal goals that you can set in front of these guys to keep them motivated through this stretch. So the next best thing is like playing B plus basketball all the way through, knowing that you can reach A plus status when you really need to go down and get it, you know? And they did that last night. And as it pertained to the Nuggets, um, I thought the Nuggets played great. Look, they had like 36 or 38 at the end of the fourth quarter. 99.9% of the time, that's fantastic. That's going to get you a win. The only time when it's not is that that one tenth of a percent of the time when you're playing, you know, Golden State and they hang up 51 in the first quarter, you know, and have 10 threes. So the Nuggets are a real thing. I just don't know that they're good enough. Like a lot of teams in the NBA playing that style of basketball to beat Golden State. And the bigger question, Danny and I, I like, it, it kind of, You know, it mirrors football, right? Like you've got Golden State who does what Golden State does better than anybody in the league. And then you've got everybody else trying to mirror Golden State because it's had so much success. The problem is they've got the best pieces and they do it the best. And so I've always said like trying to beat them at that game is not the recipe, um, that you need to be trying to employ. It can make you a fun team to watch. It can make you, you know, a fun team to play, a, a free agent destination. But while Golden State has all these weapons, you're not beating them doing that over the course of seven games.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you see the NFL like it, and you know it's kind of similar in the NBA too, but the NFL is a copycat league. They're stealing ideas, they're stealing plays. Right now, the new trend is all these, you know, hot young offensive coordinators that are gonna run these innovative plays. Well, if you check around, like not everybody has a Patrick Mahomes and a Tyree Kill and a Travis Kelsey. Right. Like, there's a reason why those plays are working, it's because they have some exceptional talent on the outside. Same thing with uh Sean McVay. He's got a Jared Goff, he's got a Todd Gurley, and he's got an offensive line that's right. able to create these huge holes. That's why I'm with you. Like, you can try to copy it all you want, but you can't copy Steph Curry. Like, you're not going to just find another Steph Curry sitting on the side of the street or another Kevin Durant or, you know, p- take your pick. You know, you just can't replicate that. There is something to, because I thought last night you saw the Warriors, they they switched that, you know, the proverbial switch, they flipped it yeah. on, and you saw that A right. effort. Do, is there any concern for you that when you go to flip that, that that might not be there, that you want to have that? More often throughout the season or is it just something they need and they can get there and there's never a concern about, Hey, there's rust or anything else. It's just always there.
1: I was never a real believer in being able to flip that switch. Um, but LeBron proved me wrong when I was with the Cavs. His teams could flip a switch. Like they, they did it. They would coast, you know, coast and be playing okay and then flip the switch. I think that Golden State can do that at this point. They've won enough. They know what it takes to win. They're pretty much a veteran, you know, laden team. I think that they can flip a switch and. You know, you're talking about degrees of, of flip switching, if you will, right? You're you're not talking about going from, let's say, playing D basketball, if you're on a grading system, to playing A-plus basketball. They're operating at like a B-plus right now, right? Like, they're really, really good. They're just not the best version of themselves. So I think it's less of a flip, th- a, a switch that you have to flip because you're just going from a B-plus to an a plus, And I think they're fully capable of doing that. And again... Steve Kerr knows it. Their team knows it, and they're just biding their time, trying to wait until the playoffs or, r- or right before the playoffs to really flip that switch and be playing like at an optimum level every night out.
0: And here's what should be even scarier for everybody across the league: Boogie Cousins is coming back on Friday versus the Clippers. Like, so this team is—if that's a plus—like they have the extra credit grade that they're going to get because yeah. they're only going to add another perennial All Star to that mix.
1: The only problem with that is like they—they they should be scared too, right? Because. You don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, you've theorized about it. Like there, there's a potential for it to be maybe the best offensive team you've ever put on the floor, except for an All Star game. And and I say that, you know, in all seriousness, you're talking about Steph Curry, um, one of the best point guards in the league, Clay Thompson, one of the best two way two guards in the league, Kevin Durant, one of the two best wings in the league, and then DeMarcus, who would be one of the three best bigs in the league. I don't know that you've ever seen that on a regular season team together. The problem is there's only, you know, again, there's only one ball. Um, You know, the pace of play will have to be adjusted for Boogie, not just because he's a big, but because he's coming off of an Achilles. Uh, there are a lot of things that, that are going to factor into whether or not he works there from a chemistry perspective. I think it'll work itself out, uh, but there is potential for it not to.
0: I think the only thing that beats the Warriors is themselves. And I just, there's too much talent for it to come from one player messing up the chemistry. I think they'll figure it out. And when I say it comes from themselves, I think it's, when this thing gets torn down, like when guys want to go get paid somewhere else right. and maximize their earning potential, which no one would blame them, and then they start losing pieces. So I, I just don't see another team with enough talent to go in seven-game series and beat this team. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out uh, the latter portion of the season. One of the bigger storylines that's unfolded this year so far was what's happening in Minnesota with the t- uh, Timberwolves because – you know they had this big drama they fired their coach and one of the more important storylines of the NBA season this year was when they traded Jimmy uh, Butler to the 76ers so since that trade you've seen kind of interesting you know fallout from both sides and i think razors one of those circumstances where it's been better for both teams because i think he was a bad fit with the younger generation the guys the, 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 Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins were really the guys that he just was rubbing the wrong way with. Now he's in a team where I think he just fits better. And I think you're seeing it play out in the court. I think both teams are better, but last night the Sixers clearly were the better team winning 149 to 107, an absolute beatdown.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, and the numbers like support the fact that, that they're bet, both teams are better, right? Every real statistical number records, like the Sixers are nine and six before the trade. Um, and, and now they're 21 and 10, like offensive rating is up almost seven points or six and a half uh field goal percentage is up three points uh the wolves four and nine before the trade 17 and 14 after the trade offensive rating is up three percent field goal percentage up three percent like every every number is better for both teams so it is a win-win type of situation here's the issue i think uh that was put to bed last night jimmy butler questioned whether carl anthony towns and andrew wiggins really had the chops for like winning i mean that's what it boiled down to right like whether these dudes were really about winning or not whether they were about it as much as whether when it was time to do it, could they dig down and, and like summon what it took to get it done? Last night was their opportunity to do that and they both failed. Like Joel Embiid completely ate Carl Anthony Towns lunch. Carl Anthony Towns was a minus 42 last night. He is a great player, but this is a stage. This Joel Embiid is regarded as maybe the best big in our game. You want to be that if you're Carl Anthony Towns. You're an alpha. You're ready for this game. You're ready to play. He had thir, I don't know, thirteen and three rebounds. You had three rebounds. Jolin Bree went for what? 31 and 13. Andrew Wiggins, 12 points, four boards. All right. Ben Simmons, <laughs> 20 and 11. You know what I mean? And, and then like that's just the two stars. We're not even talking about Jimmy Butler's 18 and whatever other numbers he had. Those dudes, the question still remains whether or not when it's nut crunching time, those guys are going to be ready to play and whether you can put them like in the driver's seat and have them get you to where you need to go. And I think that was Jimmy Butler's concern and it, it, it bore itself out last night in the game. Like they, they aren't ready to do that yet. And that was his major frustration with the situation there in, uh, in Minnesota.
0: You know what the game reminded me of was with the game, remember the story that came out when Jimmy Butler was in Minnesota, he was kind of stuck there and he wanted out and they played yeah. a game in practice and he was playing with all the scrubs and took it to the starters and like didn't even shoot and was just passing it and just worked them over. That's right. what it felt like last night. Like that was a statement game for Jimmy Butler. And as guys do nowadays, they take the social media after the game because both Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid took it, took it to social media to kind of let their feelings be known.
1: Yeah, look, this is, I mean, again, this has gotta be embarrassing for Minnesota. I know this is one game and I, and it may be an overreaction. These teams aren't even in the same conference, but you've got Jimmy Butler coming into town. Anytime I got traded or a dude got traded from us and was talking trash about us after he left, like I put a target on that game on my calendar. And if I was going to be good in any game that year, it was going to be that one. You know what I mean, Danny? Like if there was yeah. one game that I was going to be good in, It was going to be that damn game. And it's concerning for me that you got both of your stars, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, lay eggs in the biggest game of the year, like emotionally. Maybe not from a playoff, you know, uh, seating standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, from a pride standpoint, from a grown man standpoint. It's the biggest game of the year, and you both come out and lay eggs.
0: And it makes Jimmy Butler look like he was the guy that was right because this is one where they challenge you Basically, you know the relationship and what's transpired over the past. Then they go head-to-head on the court, and you don't even keep a close game. Like, it's not even close. Like, where is the fight in you? And I think it's exactly what Jimmy Butler was referencing when he was talking about the issues that he had. And he was trying to call those dudes out, and they didn't respond at the time, and they sure didn't respond last night as all. I mean, it's just... I think it makes Jimmy Butler look like he's in the right here. When you're looking at the Sixers long term, yeah. is it a no-brainer that they sign him to a longer term deal? Or do you think, cause I mean, it has worked. It does seem better, but does he fit long term with the Sixers?
1: Um, yeah, I think he can fit. I think they still have some stuff to work out. Um, you know, there were some rumblings a few weeks ago about there being some discord about how he fit in the offense. And you heard Joel, Embi- Joel Embiid come out initially and say he didn't love his you know, new role within the offense with Jimmy Butler. So there's some things that need to be ironed out. But I do think that trio can work together. They have to supplement like with more shooting. They they have to get um some floor floor spacers to go along with those ISO guys that they have there. Uh, but to take it back to what you said, last night's game, that's not it like that's got nothing to do with basketball. That's grown that's grown man challenge type of stuff, right? Like that that's what that is. That's a personal uh That's a personal affront to you as Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, what Jimmy Butler did and said. And this game is your opportunity to put that to bed and put a stamp on it. And so that had nothing to do with basketball for me. That was grown man stuff. And, you know, they didn't step up and act like grown men last night.
0: No, they didn't. And Jeff Teague called out his teammates afterward. He said, quote, that ain't no normal game. Them dudes got our head. Jimmy wanted to beat us. They all know that. Joel Embiid want to beat Cat. They ain't no normal game. They're nothing normal about that game. They dogged us. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's, and that's him calling out his own dudes. Like that's as bad, that's as bad as look as it gets for Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins.
1: Yeah. If you, if you want to be, if you consider yourself to be in the upper echelon of, of players in the league or at your position, when another guy in that category comes to town, let's, let's minus Jimmy Butler from the, from the equation. When you get Ben Simmons, if you're Andrew Wiggins coming to town. If you get Joel Embiid, if your Carl Anthony Towns coming to town, you have to, no pun intended, you have to put, you have to put everything you have into that game. Cause that's your platform, you know, to let the world know I am better than that cat or I am on his level. You know what I mean? And then you throw the Jimmy Butler grown man stuff into the equation and you better be ready to show the world that you're on that level. And they just, they just didn't do it
0: All right, Raja, so Bruce Arians was hired by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, as their head coach just a few weeks ago, and what you typically don't see, it's kind of one of those unwritten rules, is for players or coaches to talk about other players on that aren't on their team, especially if it's a disparaging fashion. Like, usually you're just going to talk great about everybody wax poetic and say how great they are. Well, Bruce Arians was talking about uh, Antonio Brown with Adam Schefter on his podcast, and I thought he had... Some really strong comments, but I think he's spot on, and I think it gives you a really good glimpse into some of the issues that the Steelers are facing with with AB. So he said, quote, there's too much miscommunication, too much diva. I've heard so many stories. I like Antonio. He plays as hard as anybody on Sunday. He practices hard. He's just got to make better decisions off the field, be on time, do some of those little things. He was the hardest working. He and Emmanuel Sanders, boy, they went after it because Mike Tomlin used to tell them, two dogs, one bone, and at the time, we had Mike Wallace, Wallace, Heinz Ward. I mean, we had a pretty good run for one of them to get on the field. By the end of the season, they were both winning for us to go to the Super Bowl. I think this is a big problem in sports, not just the NFL, but the impact that guaranteed money, that fame that it has on players, and I think it's the hardest thing to tell going into it. But I think if I'm a, if I'm a team and I'm paying a guy and I'm going to pay him, even if it's only 30 million, like we say only, but that's like a smaller guarantee in the NFL, 30, 40, 50 million dollars. I want to make sure that guy's going to be the same player he was when I liked him and he was producing as opposed to some guys when they get the money, it changes them and they get more comfortable and they start thinking, Hey, I'm set for life. I don't have to do as much. And I think it's a big problem in sports because the money is so great. That you are seeing guys shut it down and not giving as much effort once they get the money.
1: Uh yeah, that's a real thing. It can happen at times, especially you know, in leagues where you're getting guaranteed money. You see NBA guys, you know, uh chill for three, four years in the in the middle of their contract or you know, and then in, in, in their contract year they pop up and they have another great year. Look, Antonio Brown, I mean he could be a diva, um, but the stats that were just up since entering the league, he's like first or second in every tangible like receiving category like so yeah he's a diva but what he provides you on the field like is is worth it you know and there's this there's an equation right as long as your good outweighs your bad like you put up with some of that stuff once once your play starts to decline and diminish and you can't do what you used to do for me on the field if i still have to deal with all these you know little headaches off the field then you might not be worth it but as for now like sure is he a diva yeah but I don't think anybody's disputing that. I would, I would tell you probably Ben, Ben Roethlisberger is a diva. Now Ben Roethlisberger might want to be places on, he might be places on time and do stuff like that. But as it pertains to like, you know, being a sport and feeling like you're one of the greatest and want to be treating as such, I mean, that's essentially what you're talking about when, when being a diva. There are a lot of quarterbacks that are divas. There are probably running backs that are divas. Antonio Brown's a diva, but he's arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. And there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to want to put up with that diva. To to get his production on the field, and Bruce Arians like, look, I get it, but you don't ever want to alienate anyone. Like, let's say for some reason there's a scenario that unfolds, and you can get Antonio Brown for nothing. You're telling me you wouldn't take him? Like, you don't want to alienate any potential free agent uh, in in an interview that you don't have to give? There was no reason for you to be out here. Keep my name out your mouth if I'm Antonio Brown.
0: All right, here's what I'll say, Antonio Brown. If I was a team, here was a if I was a team. I would not sign Antonio Brown no matter how good he was. Just like the same with Manny Machado, who's a free agent in baseball. And you're seeing that free. I'm telling you, the production doesn't matter. He's going to tear apart a locker room just like he did with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, there's divisiveness. He's getting treated differently than everybody else. And it becomes a problem. And look, there is blame to go. I totally agree with you. I think Ben Roethlisberger is a total diva, too. I think Mike Tomlin has mismanaged this whole situation. But Antonio Brown definitely deserves some of the blame, too. All I want is a guy who's going to be professional. And that's right. where I would go to guys guys like Larry Fitzgerald, guys like Julio Jones, guys who work. And no matter how much money they make, it's not what drives them. They want to be great. And that's the hardest intangible Let's it say, is Larry to figure Fitch, out.
1: Larry Fitzgerald in his prime, okay. But I'm not taking Larry <laughs> Fitzgerald right now because he's a better <laughs> locker room guy than Antonio Brown when Antonio Brown can Clearly. lead the league in receptions and touchdowns. So like I- I'm with you in that there are problems that come. I also don't believe – because I was one of these guys where cultures become toxic and you can get the worst version of player A in that situation over there. And if you bring him to this situation that's more stable, you can get the best version of him. So, like, yeah, I get it. Antonio Brown's been a problem. But, again, as long as he is able to produce like that on a football field, someone will sign him. Whoever, maybe it needs to be a culture that can withstand him and and have him be the best version of himself. And you have to figure out whether your team represents that or not. But that talent is you don't get you don't duplicate that. That's not a plug in and play type of situation. He's not you know a second, third, fourth receiver. He is a true number one that leads the league in just about every statistical category since he came in the league. I'm signing him.
0: <laughs> I would want to know for sure he's going to be on time. He's going to show up for practice. That would be even my care. minimal requirement for him. You wouldn't care. You don't even care if he doesn't come to look, practice. I, dude, I look,
1: no, I mean, look, you got to come to practice. But do I ultimately care if you're late five times in a year? Nope, I do not. Right. I don't. But see, here's where here's
0: where the cancer comes in when other guys are treated differently, and that's where yeah. Mike Tomlin has gotten some heat. Because if you you there's a there's a there's a collectively bargained fine that you can find guys if they're late. Some right. coaches are really sticklers. Like you know Tom Coughlin famously was like, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. That's stupid. But I've been on other teams where if you're five seconds late, you're gonna get twenty five hundred dollar fine. If you're fifteen minutes late, it's gonna be a five thousand dollar, whatever the maximum number it is. And then I've seen other teams where if you're 30 seconds late, it's no big deal. Everybody's like, that's within reason. Right. But you better have that treatment with everybody, not yeah. just, hey, Antonio Brown's five minutes late. He doesn't get fined. You no. have to have that same stance across the board.
1: Absolutely. Like I'm not lobbying for you to treat him any differently. I'm saying if he, if he does the dumb stuff, you fine him, you do what you have to do and you keep it moving. But if five fines are going to allow me to have this, this, You know, top five receiver in the NFL on the field producing for me. And I know, you know, Bruce Arians even said it in his comments. He plays hard. He practices hard. If I'm going to get all of that and I got to worry about five being late to meetings and find him, I'm okay with that. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I (laughs)
1: don't know. But this is, you know, this is like, look, I say that. And I could be the one that gets him in the locker room, and he destroys my chem- my chemistry. Do you know what I mean? Right. You say that, and you could be the one that misses out on him going out there and, and scoring sixteen touchdowns next year. Like that's you know, it's the debate that every general manager is probably having with their coach and their 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 uh, owner right now.
0: I think the heart the thing I would want is a locker room full, and this is probably impossible to find because in a fifty three man roster, you are going to have guys that play the game for different reasons. Right. I would want to find guys who play the game because. They want to win championships. They want to be great, even if it's individually great. I still want a guy who wants to be great, not for the money or for the fame. And to be full disclosure, I was a guy who played football because I like what it brought to me. I liked it. I didn't love right. football. As I like playing, but I didn't like doing the work, going to practice, you know, off-season conditioning, I did it because it was a way to, you know, to make a lot of money, to to be famous. Like that was and that's why I think like I wasn't that good because that's not that that was the only thing that drives me and that's not enough. It has to come from within. And that's I think the hardest value to find in guys because they can fool you and a lot of times they'll fool you right up to the moment they get paid and then when you see their true colors come out they're like, "Oh, this guy was just in it for the money," which I think is a really tough evaluation to get through.
1: It- um it, it is it no it is, it is Danny like you never you never really know like I I love the game uh but I never was going to take less than than I thought I was worth do you know what I mean like I, I wanted yeah. to maximize my opportunity to make money but I genuinely love the game I think what happens to guys like Antonio Brown and some other receivers like you know I've said this to you before about quarterbacks in the NFL like in their treatment like I think guys resent that sometimes right and like You know, Antonio Brown plays for the love of the game. Nobody ever questions whether like, you know, Aaron Rodgers plays for the love of the game or the money. But like, you know, Aaron's a diva. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then Antonio Brown acts like a diva and everybody's calling him a diva. And now I question whether he loves the game and he's playing for money versus playing for the love of the game. So I think, you know, they see that double standard and, and they're painted as these divas and, and other positions aren't. And I think, you know, if I'm being honest, I put a lot of it on Antonio Brown. Like you did not handle your business the way a professional should handle your business there in Steelerland. I would also say that he probably watched some of the way that Ben was treated by the organization and by Mike Tomlin, and he was a little envious and felt like there was a double standard there, and it brought out an even worse side of Antonio Brown.
0: There's no doubt that resentment can be a huge issue in a locker room, no matter what sport you're playing. Yeah. I think that's a little bit what the Celtics are going through right now because Kyrie, and we discussed this the other day, a few days ago when they lost to the uh, the Magic on Saturday, Kyrie came out and he expressed frustration. He sounded like he was upset that Jason Tatum got the final shot, which was a miss. And so now I think you're seeing a very real issue creep in, whether you call it team chemistry, leader, a lack of leadership or a leadership that's not in line with what everybody wants to be doing. And so now you're seeing other dudes calling them out so Jalen Brown had some comments. He said it's not the young guys or the old guys' fault. It's everybody. We just have to watch each other's back each other at the end of every day. We can't make comments. We can't point fingers. That sounds like a direct shot at Kyrie Irving. Terry Rozier was a little bit more direct because he called out Kyrie. He said, "quote Kyrie said a lot after the last game, and it was probably stuff that people didn't want to hear. I don't think we've all been on a team like this. Young guys who can play, guys who did things in their career, the group that was together last year. Then you bring then you bring Kyrie and Gordon." hayward back there's a lot with it i think you're you're seeing clearly from all these comments there is a divide in the locker room between the young crew and the old crew because three quotes they all talk about younger versus older and i think that's a massive problem for the celtics and a team that had massive expectations this year and they're coming up short because of those issues
1: uh yeah this has been brewing for a while um the shelf life on this team wasn't nearly what people thought it was. Like, I made the argument a few weeks ago that with a younger team like this, you had less of a shelf life than you would with older guys in their twilight, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, but it's for this reason, right? Like, all of these guys want to, you know, bust out of this bubble, if, if you will, like this Boston bubble of, like, it's a really good team and become superstars. Um, and And you're trying to keep it all together if you're Brad Stevens and keep all of these personalities within this winning team bubble, you know? And guys are just like – Punching at the bubble, trying to get out. They want to be stars. And it did not help them at all that last year Kyrie and Gordon went out. And these guys were able to get to an Eastern Conference championship without them. Right? Like, they did this. Jason yeah. Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart. They did this without you dudes. So, you know, leadership styles are really important. If you come back in that locker room, and I'm just saying Kyrie because I don't know that Gordon's doing this. And I don't know that Kyrie is either, but it seems like it. Guns blazing. Yeah. Let me tell you how this is supposed to look. Let me tell you young guys what it takes to win because I won a championship in in Cleveland. Almost like Jimmy Butler with the Wolves. If that's the way you're coming back into that locker room after they've went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then you're going to take the ball away from them and say, all right, now I need you guys to stand around and watch me do what I do, and I'll get you the ball when I feel like it. That's going to fall on deaf ears, dude, and a lot of resistance. And to your point, resentment. And so that's what, you know, Brad Stevens, I said he's a great coach. Like, I think his X's and O's are fantastic. This will be the true measure of who he is as a basketball coach because this thing is on the verge of implosion. And if he can save it, then he is what I thought he is. If if he doesn't, uh, then the jury's still out for me.
0: Well, it's going to be a really interesting decision that he's going to make because he's a free agent after the season. He said he'll be back. But in the, I think the thing that's really interesting is Jimmy Butler, when he's calling out a young Timberwolves team, they haven't really achieved anything yet. Right. And this is totally different because they were good last year, as you were just saying. Like they were a team that almost, you know, pulled off this miracle run to the finals last yeah. year. They didn't get there, but they had a lot of success where, and there was, a, I don't know if you saw it. The other night there was a, and I wanted to ask you because I, I didn't know if this was a big deal or not. So Kyrie was not, uh, not playing or not dressed out the other night and they showed him the team was in a huddle and he was like watching the entertainment, I don't know, it was like a dance crew or something, and he was not paying at all attention to, like, the huddle where the coach is giving, you know, Brad Stevens is talking to the team yeah. and all the team's huddling around. He was just kind of just hanging, just chilling.
1: He is wasn't dressed out for
0: – I don't. He wasn't dressed out. No, so nah, I don't think it was a huge.
1: It's not a big watch, deal, right? I'm watching the dancers too, bro. What? I mean, why? Well, I don't really care what's <laughs> right. going on in You're there. Either, right <laughs> there are dancers out there. Do you
0: there. think he'd be better off though, going somewhere else, or is this a legacy thing for him where he's got to figure out a way to to make no, it work in Boston? I don't, right?
1: I don't think it's a legacy thing. Kyrie's super young. Like I don't, I don't think it's it's a legacy thing. Um, I, I, I think if they're gonna keep all of that young talent, that Kyrie probably needs to find another destination. Like that. That's just me being honest. Like I. I not that they can't win, but you're always going to deal with this if you keep that group of guys. Cause they're, they've got, again, skill sets that all kind of overlap each other and are on top of each other's toes. They got, you know, windows of opportunity to maximize stardom and money that, that kind of conflict with each other. So if you're going to keep this roster, then yeah, probably Kyrie would probably need to find another situation, you know, that, 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 that he could, uh, you know, win in. But if you're going to use some of these assets and you have some, To move on and, and try to entice like an, an Anthony or the Pelicans to part with Anthony Davis or, you know, any other name. I don't know. I haven't gone down the list of guys that are available, but they were, if they're going to pay him with another guy, uh, that, that has a different skill set, is in a different part of his career. He's kind of already established as a star. So they're not fighting for that stardom. Then Boston has a really good thing set up. They've just got too many of the same type of player, um, at the same point in their career right now. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. We start off socially relevant with some big news for Raja. So one of college football's major free agent quarterbacks is officially off the market. Former Ohio State quarterback Tate Martell announced that he's transferring to Miami. He posted up this photo with Kevin Jordan and safety Bubba Bolden, who both attended the same high school in Vegas as Martell. He tweeted a photo of the trio out saying, quote, right back like we never left. I'm a Hurricane. He chose the Hurricanes over West Virginia and Louisville, which were two programs he visited over the weekend. So Roger, your kids have been on a hunt for a quarterback for a while now. We know Danny's not necessarily a big fan, but Roger, are you happy to have him in the 305? Yeah, I'm happy to have him. Anything would be an upgrade for us this year. Um <laughs> He's got to wait a season though, so my question is, are we going to get Jalen Hurts too to kind of bridge the gap between when Tate can play um, and um and this season? Because there is next season to think about, but yeah, look, all jokes aside. Anytime you can add talent to a group uh, that's been lackluster for the last couple of years, I'm in. Bring some excitement back, manny. Danny, you got to tell right, us why so, you don't like them. Well, I got to give you a little
0: backstory, a little okay. context, because it was earlier this summer, and I was going through Netflix, and I was watching this show QB One. It's a documentary. It follows high school quarterbacks around through their recruiting process, through their <laughs> senior years. And I watched it, and I was like, oh, it was Jake Fromm. It was a kid from Wake Forest, and it was Tate Martell, and he was at Bishop Gorman in Vegas. And I was fascinated because it was really cool. Like, you get to see different personalities. You get to see them with their families interact. You get to see them with their teammates. It's all off-the-field stuff. Like, they hardly spend any time on the field, what they're doing. But I was blown away by Tate Martell and his, like, level of cockiness. Like, he was a punk like, it was a tough watch. He's our like, punk. Like, he's, he's, he's our unlikable. Punk. He came off as extremely unlikable. And this before I knew he was going to Miami, so much so that I came in and I told Raj, I'm like, you got to watch this kid. Like, I want to get your take on him. Yeah. But here's what I'll say. And this is where I don't want to judge anybody, because I was actually texting back and forth with another buddy of mine who's a huge Hurricane fan, and he was celebrating. And I was like, oh, have you seen QB1? you got to go watch it. It was a couple years ago. And I know if cameras were following me around when I was in high school, I probably would have come across like a pretty big punk too. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I don't love the way that he left Ohio State either because he was talking trash to Justin Fields saying, don't come here. You're not just going to step in here and win the job. And then when Justin Fields goes and transfers to Ohio State, he goes up and leaves. Like, why is he afraid of competition? And I just – I don't love some of the red flags that you've seen. I hope he's successful. I hope everybody – you know, I hope he has a good career – but I do think he's going to have to compete at Miami. And I don't, Roger, I did see a report this morning that said he might be able to speed up his graduation to May. I think the Sun Sentinel had an article about that. So that would be an interesting, um, yeah, case yeah, for that him. That would be and really dope. I always tell dudes, get as, and it's, and, you know, it's, it's hard to graduate that fast, but as much, as much course load as you can take. Have some leverage so you don't have to sit out of here. And that'd be a good example if he does. And I do think there's a strong chance, uh, Jalen Hurts goes because he has his old offensive coordinator now who is the offensive coordinator at, uh, at Miami. All right. Welcome back. Canell and Bell, uh, finish it off here with some leftovers. So Raz, I was asking about a name change and if you've ever yeah. done it. You got a good name. You have no issues. I have always been Danny. My official name is Daniel. I get harassed sometimes on twitter which is kind of normal people are like oh danny's a kid's name i've never thought about changing it officially like to Dan, like call me dan like because that's my dad and i actually right. like the name danny so i've never thought about changing it bj upton who is a major league baseball player he's played for a long time four years ago i always knew it was bj he switched his name to melvin upton uh and he so his birth name was bossman jr it was a nod to his father's boss man nickname, so okay. he didn't like it. He went to Melvin, but guess who told him to switch it back? Yeah, it's a wife smart man. Yeah, yes, yeah, And not a smart man because she said, you know. He, so his quote was, "You know what? It's my wife, man. She never. She said Melvin just doesn't sound right on TV, and she wants me to go back to BJ. And everybody knows, happy wife, happy life. So we're official. It's cool. I think this is kind of the state of affairs for baseball." I didn't even know BJ Upton changed his name. Like, yeah, that's seriously. A bad thing if I'm a baseball fan. But I, I don't, every dude who changes his name, you talk about divas, like look at the list of divas on here. Ocho Cinco, Diva, uh, Ron Artest <laughs> changed the Meta World piece. Like these dudes, they just want the attention. That's why they changed their names.
1: Um, World Be Free is probably my favorite on that list and World's a good dude. I don't know that I know him as an adult. Like I didn't know him when he was like, like a young, cat. So I don't know if that he was a diva. Um, I have a question about BJ Upton. No one really answered it for me. Was his original name BJ as a nod to his dad's boss man or was his actual name boss man junior?
0: That's a great question. I'm guessing that Melvin was his birth certificate name and he wanted to go back to that and okay. boss man was just they called him boss man jr because it was his dad's nickname i'm assuming i mean i don't i don't know i'm making maybe i'm making an yeah, assumption I, there.
1: I was curious I would, anyway
0: yeah it, it could be it. there have definitely been some great nicknames uh, i am here in orlando this week ucf yeah. country i went for a run this morning in my ucf national championship shirt uh shirt this morning right. people were honking at me like giving me the thumbs up saying yeah way to go They're going to have a new quarterback, potentially. Brandon Wimbush, who was at Notre Dame this past season, started the first four games, then got benched for Ian Book. He has decided to transfer to UCF. I think it's a couple things. One, I think it's a good sign for UCF that they're able to get top-tier transfers. I think it speaks to the success of their program. The concerning thing, I also think it means Mackenzie Milton's probably not going to be back for a year, which I don't think anybody thought he was because it was such a gruesome injury. But I do think... Like I had a couple UCF fans reach out and say, what do you think on Twitter? I think it's a, it's a good, like you want depth at the position, but he's got to improve as a passer if, cause their system, they throw the ball a lot and he was barely over, over 50%, but I would like to see him improve some and he's going to have to in order to keep up the level of play that they've seen at UCF. And he's also going to have to beat out Dariel Mack who started in Mackenzie Milton's place and played pretty well when he was, uh, when he was hurt.
1: Yeah, agree. Daryl Max was, was tough. Like he missed some throws too, but, um, I, I think what I take away from it, cause you, you, you have a better take on like whether he, his pass completion percentage is up to snuff and all of that. I, I just think that that is all good for UCF to be getting like Notre Dame transfers, looking at them. You know, like you're talking about major programs, uh, that would entice a guy like, like Brandon Winbush. And that puts you in that category for me if you're UCF. So good for you guys.
0: So I was checking out, uh, Instagram this morning and I yeah. saw one Ty Boogie. Oh, word, on word, on yeah, his game. Yeah. That's your eleven-year-old,
1: right? No, that's my that's my ten-year-old.
0: Oh, that's your ten-year-old. But yeah. your eleven-year-old is what? Sixth grade?
1: He's a sixth grader, yeah.
0: Do you think he'll get any scholarship offers in seventh
1: grade? No. What are you talking about, bro?
0: I think he I, might. I think he I, might because I think know, we're, I think what you're seeing coaches do is they look for talent, and if they see you play in the NBA, I think they'll see him working on his skills. I think they might offer him. And I think here's the thing. Yeah. Here's what drives me nuts with a lot of these, because Jim Harbaugh did exactly that. He offered a seventh grader, seventh grade quarterback, Isaiah Marshall, scholarship offer from Jim Harbaugh on Tuesday to play football in Michigan. Here's where I think they might, because they're not binding. Like these things are such just attention grabs for the coaches, for the programs, and for the kids. There is nothing binding. Like if this kid said, Yep, I'm coming to Michigan, he has no guarantee. I think they should hold coaches accountable and make them have a scholarship on the guaranteed if they're going to go out there and do this for the attention, I think they should have to back it up with an actual scholarship.
1: Oh, wait, don't say that cuz I was going right down to FIU to talk to like the head coaches down there and see if we could drum up a little like I I feel like like this is a win-win, right? Like it's great for the program, but Isaiah Marshall now, whether you're that good or not, right? Like the buzz about you now like on Instagram and social media and then just generally in the class of 2024 quarterbacks, like you're on fire right now. So like my first Thought was to go down, talk to Pete Garcia at FIU, see if I could talk to Butch Davis and be like, listen, like I know, I know you're not going to want my son like in a few years. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, maybe he wants you, maybe you don't. But for right now, how could it hurt? So just like give him a scholarship. Like tell him, tell him you're going to offer him a scholarship. We'll start getting some interest out there in him and it's a win-win for everybody, you know?
0: Yeah, because there are a lot of politics involved in some of these recruiting ranking systems yeah. in football and basketball. Bro, I'm this going kid, Isaiah Marshall, Right he's to bolt up the list. He's Absolutely. Bolt up the list because he was on there. Did you happen to see this past weekend when Ezekiel Elliott was walking in to their home game and he had the bag of Chick-fil-A in his arm before the game? Yeah, Did his, his suit you that? Was, was cold-blooded was going suit. Around. Yeah. yeah, his suit was cold-blooded. I was thinking, how's he going to do that with Chick-fil-A? Right. Apparently the 76ers <laughs> have a Chick-fil-A obsession too, so they actually haze their rookies – But by making them supply fresh, fresh, crispy chicken sandwiches before team flights, I actually think it's a pretty easy requirement because you go find a Chick-fil-A, although some places you might have to drive a little bit to get them. What was the worst thing you made your rookies do? Because I think that's pretty easy.
1: Um, I didn't have like a whole lot of like bad requests. Mine was like, I needed a coffee. So my rookies had to bring me coffee, like, uh, shoot around. You either had to bring donuts, um, like, we're in New Orleans. They'd have to go down to Cafe Dumont and wait in the line to get, like, um, beignets and stuff like that. But basic cable stuff. I wasn't a real, like, uh, stickler about it.
0: You know what the theme that I'm noticing around all these hazing meals, requirements they have to bring? Yeah. All of them are unhealthy food. Like, it's yeah, all correct. garbage junk food that they're they have vices. to bring. Like, yeah. bring some health. They would get run out of the locker room if they brought some green juice, though. <laughs> <laughs>